You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 10 a.m. on February 25, 2024, presented by Rev. Chris Duke. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians again. First Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 4 to 9. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this short passage where Paul is thanking, is thankful to God for the Corinthians, this very new and fledgling church. And Lord, we are thankful for those last words which states that God is faithful. Lord, may each one of us come to appreciate ever so more the faithfulness of God, what he's done for us and what he's doing for us and the things that he will do for us in the future. Help us, Lord, to be grateful And Lord, we ask now that you'll speak to our hearts as we endeavour to unpack these uh, uh, verses. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the correct way of writing a letter in the early church days was to begin with who the author was, and then you would mention who you're addressing the letter to, and then you would follow it by a word of greeting, along with including some words of praise to the gods. Now, this is the form that Paul follows when he introduces us to the letter of uh, 1 Corinthians, except that he doesn't offer praise to those little g-gods, but he offers praise to the one and only true triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. There was once a boy sitting on a park bench uh, with an open Bible. He was very amused with what he was reading and he expressed loud praises to God. Hallelujah, our God is great, he was saying. He shouted, not being concerned by anyone around him who was listening. And at that moment, a university professor walked by and he overheard this boy's enthusiasm And thinking that he was somewhat enlightened in the ways of truth, he proceeded to ask the boy about his source of joy. And the boy replied, don't you have any idea what God is able to do? I just read that God opened up the ways of the Red Sea and he led the whole nation of Israel through the middle. The enlightened man sniggered lightly sat down next to the boy and began to try and open the eyes 
to the, open this boy's eyes to the realities of the miracles of the Bible. He said, oh, that can be easily explained. Modern views say that the Red Sea in that area was only 10 inches deep at that time. Therefore, it was no problem for the Israelites to wade across. Now, the boy thought for a moment as he had his open, and he was looking at his open Bible, and then the boy broke out again in extra, extra joyous laughter and jubilation. Wow! exclaimed the boy happily. God is greater than I thought. Not only did he lead the whole nation of Israel through the Red Sea, but he topped it off by drowning the whole Egyptian army in 10 inches of water. Friends, the reason that Paul writes his letter to the Corinthians is because all's not well with the congregation in the Corinthian church. In time, we'll uncover some of the problems of schism and division and party spirit. Christians were suing one another and dishonouring the name of Jesus. There was sexual immorality. We're not even the pagan uh, Corinthians uh, would name the offences plagued, plaguing the Christians in their city. In addition, there was a spirit of snobbery and elitism regarding spiritual gifts. There was theological confusion. There was anar anarchic uh, worship and a general failure of love. And in addition, there's even more confusion about the Corinthian believers, how they ought to relate to the culture that they were living in, the culture out of which they had been converted and in which they still lived each day. The value system, the cultural expectations, there was a huge pull upon them that was still wrecking havoc in their lives and in their, in their church. Therefore, Paul's purpose in his letter is to rebuke, it's to challenge, and it's to exhort Corinthian believers. But Paul in verse 4 doesn't start with rebuking. Rather, he starts by thanking God for them. He thanks God for them. Now, just imagine the elders have received a letter from the Apostle Paul and they're waiting apprehensively for their next elders' meeting to deal with it in correspondence. Surely he's going to rebuke us, they probably thought. But Paul disarms their anxiety by giving thanks to God for them. Paul isn't playing psychology here. He's not uh, playing flattery here. Neither is he just trying to be nice. He isn't playing the good cop, bad cop scenario. Rather, Paul means every word. He feels deep, lasting gratitude to God for these Corinthian believers, people among whom he had invested at least one and a half years in preaching and teaching and making disciples. Now, it's always easy to be critical but Paul shows us how to cultivate a thankful heart in God's people for us to follow. Now, sometimes God's people have critical spirits and it clouds our love for God and his people. Even though there's some obvious errors in the life of this Corinthian church, Paul gives thanks for the evidence of grace in their lives. 
And so in verses 4 to 9, Paul shows us what God's grace has so far accomplished in the lives of these people, albeit some correction is coming in the later chapters. Therefore, may this encourage us as our Lord grants us with continued grace in our own Christian walk. Here's what grace has done and is doing in them. Here's what grace may yet be done among us. There are four points I want to present concerning the Christian life. Firstly, the Christian life is a Christ-centred life. Secondly, in the Christian life, grace is given. Thirdly, the Christian life is sustained by God's word. And fourthly, the Christian life looks to the future. And Paul says in verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Paul thanks God for the Corinthians who are living a Christ-centred life. In the Christian life, your life should always be Christ-centred. Notice that, phrase, that last phrase in that verse, though, his grace given you in Christ Jesus. And God shows us and he gives us his grace in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of God that we enjoy as believers is the personality and it's the orientation of the heart of God towards us. When we're in Jesus Christ, when we're brought into personal union with his son, he is filled with grace towards us. And as we look at the last verse of our passage in verse 9, where the same emphasis uses slightly different language, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God's irresistible call, God's irresistible call on us by the work of the Holy Spirit empowered through the preaching of the gospel has brought us out of darkness and into his marvellous light from death to life. And when this happened, we're people who are united in and to Jesus Christ. And it's then that we have fellowship and communion with him. To be a Christian at all means to be a man and a woman, a boy or a girl who is in Christ. Everything in our whole Christian life, as Paul gives us a brief summary of the Christian lives is centred on, is centred on and in some way in our, in our connection, in our union with Jesus. So the grace you receive when you first believed is the grace you continue to receive every step forward in your life in Christ. It's the same grace of God, the word of God, the testimony that is confirmed among us, that sustains and strengthens and nourishes us is the testimony about Jesus. In our therapeutic age that we live in today, it always turns our attention towards ourselves. It always turns our attention inward 
And it's helpful to be reminded that the Christian life is centred elsewhere. It's centred not on yourself, not on the self, but it's centred on the Saviour, our Lord and Saviour Jesus. And so Paul here directs our gaze at Jesus. He wants us to look to Jesus and the testimony is all about him. Friends, maybe you've been looking for comfort, you've been looking for healing, for personal wholeness, for human companionship. Maybe church for you is really about finding a place and building a community. Well, that's fair enough. Yes, you can find those things here and I pray that you all do find those things here. But know this, know this, if that's all you're looking for, then at this moment you're not yet a Christian. You're not yet a Christian. Christians, whatever they find in the church, have found something infinitely more satisfying and precious in the person of Jesus Christ. A Christian is someone who is in Christ. He is all to us. So as Paul points us to Jesus, he would ask this important question to you today. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Do you have Jesus in your life? This is the most important question we must all answer. The Christian life is always a Christ-centred life. Secondly, the Christian life is a life that is enriched with God's grace. Verse 5 says, For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. And verse 7 says, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. The grace of God that was given to these early uh, Corinthians has produced a particular result that Paul wants to emphasise here. It has produced in them spiritual gifts, especially in the area of speech and knowledge. Now, if you're able to visit the city of Corinth, uh, Julie and myself, we had the opportunity of visiting it in 2019. It's a ruin now, but it's very interesting. There's a place where they think that Paul got up and he would have preached from regularly. If you went to church there and when you came home and you were asked, how was church? You would say that the people in the congregation were able to articulate the faith and that they were knowledgeable. God blessed them with an ability. He blessed them in his grace. They loved to speak the truth and they loved to know the truth. Even when there were problem areas of faith and Christian living with some having distorted and having unbalanced views, especially in the area of, of uh, Christian living and thinking, you see they were still infected by the old paganism. And we'll look to this a bit later that highlighted rhetoric and it highlighted secret knowledge. And they used their spiritual gifts for prestige and self-promotion. As Paul gets into his letter, he firmly deals with them. 
But right here in the beginning, he begins by simply giving thanks for them, for their faith in Christ. You see, that's where it all starts, friends. We all need to have faith in Christ. And, it, and, uh, and it's a gift of grace that God gives us and it enriches the life of the church. To be a Christian is to live enriched by the grace of God. In the Greek, the two words gift and grace are similar. The word grace in Greek is, I will pr I'll pronounce it wrong, Costa, you'll correct me later, it's okay, charis, and the word gift is charismata. Gifts are gifts of grace. When we observe someone who is gifted in being able to do something that we might marvel at, then we marvel at their gift. Sometimes we'll flatter someone when talking about their gift. Sometimes we might also be proud and our chest will uh, stick out, we'll, we'll have pride swelling up in us because we're all so gifted. But Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about gifts of grace. You see, in gifts of grace there's no boasting except in God who has given them. As we use the gifts he has given us, it's not us who is to be exalted, but Christ and the church is blessed. In the Christian life, the person is enriched by God's grace. God gives us the grace that we need and, and the gifts that he requires so the church is equipped for ministry and service. So that the church is edified, so that the church is encouraged, so that the church is comforted and pointed again and again to Christ, not by the preacher, but by the work of the Holy Spirit according to the great needs of your hearts, our hearts. And thirdly, I want you to see that the Christian life is sustained by God's word. So we talk about spiritual gifts, Paul says in verse 6, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. The testimony about Christ is another way of talking about the ministry. That is the faithful ministry of God's word through the gospel. As a result of gospel preaching that's Christ-centred, God confirms our testimony about Christ. And grace then does amazing things. It equips you for service. It enriches your life. It's the fruit of faithful preaching of God's word as the testimony about Christ permeates into your being, into your hearts. God's grace enriches and equips you with everything good for doing his will. Christian faithfulness and Christian fruitfulness are together the product of the ministry of the word that confirms the testimony about Christ among us. Now the word confirmed in verse 6 and the word sustain in verse 8 are the same words in Greek. Verse 8 says, Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? 
So what does this mean? It means until the day of the Lord. That is, when Jesus returns and judgment comes, believers, that's you and I, if we are believers, are going to make it through. The good news is that God will sustain you and he will continue to transform you, making you more like Jesus. Now, friends, that's a wonderful promise, is it not? How is he going to do this? How is God going to sustain you? The word sustain and confirm being the same word describe the effect of the word of God in our hearts. He will sustain you as the word is confirmed among you, as the testimony about Jesus grips your heart and motivates your service. It's when the word of God takes hold of your life. Friends, do you love your Bible or do you neglect your Bible? If you're a person who spends time in God's word and spends time meditating on it, you're allowing it to become part of your being and God will preserve and protect and perfect your life. Now, in Catholic churches, the focus of worship is mostly on the Mass. In charismatic churches, the focus of worship is on a static personal experience. But in Reformed churches, the focus is on the preaching of the Word. The emphasis of God's Word is where God is at work. You see, it's by reading but more so especially by the preaching of God's word with the help of the Holy Spirit that causes it to be an effectual means of convincing and convicting and humbling sinners, of drawing sinners to Christ, of subduing your will, of building you up in the grace and the knowledge of of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing by his word in your heart today. He is sustaining you to the end by his word. Praise God for that. So please pray for the preaching of the word, that God would rend open the heavens and come down and empower and own the ministry of the word, his word, in the demonstration of of the Holy Spirit, that he would awaken in all of us an appetite for his word. That's the testimony about Jesus that's being confirmed among these Corinthians and being confirmed among us, I pray, so that like the Corinthians, we might abound and be enriched by grace for Christ in speech and knowledge, with gifts of speech and knowledge. What might God do by his word among us if we gave ourselves to pleading with him to own and bless the scriptures into our hearts? Finally, the Christian life looks to the future. Are you a person who lives in the past 
Are you a person who lives in the present or the future? You know, maybe something happened a few years ago and you can't get over it. Maybe you're living just in the present, never thinking about the future. However, in the Christian life, the future is always in our thoughts. The future we're looking to or looking for is the end of time as we know it. And at that time, it's the beginning of eternity. In verse 7 it says, So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. As God works, as God's word is at work, he is confirming the word in your heart. God is doing many great things. In verse 8 again he says he's going to sustain you by his word. However, what are the Corinthians doing while all this is happening? While their good and bad is happening, what are they doing? Verse 7 says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Corinthian Christians had their eyes fixed. Even so, in their error, on the finish line. Now, you can't run a race until you see where the finish line is. A Christian is Christ-centred, that's captured by Jesus. As long, and we long to know him here, we long to know him here after. Friends, we should never get enough of him. We can never get enough of him. You see, there's always more to come and there'll be far more to we'll realise when he does come in his glory. One day, dear brethren, the lordship of Christ will be displayed where every eye and every knee will bow down and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And at that moment, we'll all be face to face with Jesus, revelling in his glory with him forever and ever with all the church. Our life here, if you like, is the waiting room this side of eternity. It's the waiting room this side of eternity. This isn't our home. When Christ comes, that will be home. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're longing for. Those who have Christ-centred hearts, whose lives have been enriched by his grace, whose word is sustaining you and changing you and nourishing you. We're longing for Jesus to come. So I wonder, I wonder if you're ready to go. I wonder if you're ready to go. Or is this world your home? Do you live waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you still living in the past? Or are you living only for today? When the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Friends, has Jesus truly captured your heart? That's the most important question you will ever have to answer. And you need to answer that personally, yourself. Has Jesus captured your heart? Now, I'm not talking about church here 
nor about church tradition, nor about religious practices. What I'm talking about, does Jesus have hold of your heart? Does he have hold of your heart? Are you in him? Has he captured you? And do you long for nothing else but to be with him and to see him and to have more of him? Nothing else matters compared to how you answer that question. Are you a man or a woman, a boy or a girl in Christ? If you are, then you live a grace-enriched life. God will give you all that you need. There are no unfunded mandates in the Christian life. When God, what God requires from you, he will supply to you that you might live for his glory. You will live a word-sustained life. The Bible, the Bible may once have been a dead letter preached by an old grey-haired man. Now starts to live now starts to nourish your heart, now starts to be life, to be food. It starts to be light to your feet and a lamp to your path. You hear the voice of Jesus saying, this is the way, so walk in it and he will sustain you because our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. And because you follow him, one day the skies will split open and he will come and you will see him and he will take you up to be with him, not just for a day, but forever. And so may the Lord give you grace to answer that great question well. Am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? Has Jesus truly captured your heart? If not, then you need to get into Christ. You need to get into Christ and you need to do it today. Today, not tomorrow. Today, right now. Let's pray. Amen. Your gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that through him we can come to know you by faith and our lives can be changed forever. And, Lord, that you will bless us with that blessed hope we learnt earlier that we long for to be in your presence forever and ever where there'll be no more death, there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more suffering. Lord, we long for that day. Lord, we pray that everyone here and everyone who's listening away from here today online, Lord, that every heart, every heart will indeed be captured by the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will capture every heart. Lord, help our hearts to be captured by you. May we all come to you today. May we all be in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our prayer and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. More messages of hope at EssendonPresbyterianChurch.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.